You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Uh, we're going to be, uh, be examining yet another myth regarding the life and teaching of Jesus that unfortunately far too many people uh, hold today. And that's the view that his life and teaching are just really not that relevant for our lives today. That Jesus is simply this historical person whose sayings and teachings are actually a bit archaic today. So unfortunately for many, they view him as the antique Jesus. Now this commonly held myth became very apparent during this month, this month of April. I don't know how closely you follow the news or how closely you follow some of the articles and magazines, but uh, uh, an article that just was published this this month, April 2018, by a magazine that I'm not sure how many of you read, uh, probably not too, too shocking. I don't read this magazine very often, but it's the magazine GQ, okay? Uh, last week, when I, last night when I shared that, there was a family that just burst into laughter when I said, and it kind of hurt my feelings, you know, as I was standing on stage with a sweatshirt on. But, uh, but, but the truth of it is, uh, even though I don't read this magazine a lot, I, this article caught my attention. And the, the title of the article was 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. You might have guessed one of the books that they focused on in their 21 books you don't have to read was the Bible. I want to share with you what the writer of this article wrote about the Bible. They wrote, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. Those who have read it know that there are some good parts But overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-mentioned. Ill-intentioned, excuse me. Wow. What What a striking comment. And actually, when I read that, I just kind of took a step back and went, wow, people truly view the Bible as, as antique and not relevant for today. And what a contrast that, that description of the Bible has to what Jesus had to say uh, at the end of his time on earth before the cross when he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Although I rarely make predictions, and I don't view myself in any way as a prophet, and in fact, probably the only predictions I ever make are about my sports teams that I root on from the state of Indiana, and usually I'm wrong there, but I do have one thing to say today about that, go Pacers, okay? But but 
Yet, although I don't typically make predictions or try to play the role of a prophet, I am confident that GQ magazine will stop printing magazines long before Jesus' words will quit being read and applied. You see, Jesus is the one that's often quoted in our generation, even when he doesn't receive credit for some of his most intriguing quotes. Think about these phrases that you hear bantered around even in our culture today. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Boy, that guy is the salt of the earth guy. Let your light shine and be a city on a hill. These are just a few phrases of Jesus that are not considered antique, but are relevant for this generation, for the workplace, for our homes, and for every time and culture. Possibly, maybe even you have recently wondered in your heart, is following Jesus and his teachings an an outdated idea? If you've ever thought that, or if you've ever wondered that, I want to share with you that all those quotes that I just finished mentioning from Jesus, not only were from the span of his entire ministry, but were from one sermon that Jesus taught. How's that for being relevant? Someone that in one sermon could have so many quotes that 2,000 years later, people that don't even claim to believe in him, people that don't even claim to follow him are still citing as wisdom for life. So for the rest of our time together, we're going to look at three sections or three snippets, if you will, from this one sermon that Jesus taught, probably the most famous sermon that's recorded for us in the Bible. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And you can find it in in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, in chapters 5, 6, or 7. You can either turn in your Bible or your Bible app to that. And I hope that as we look at these three snippets of Jesus' teaching, that it will help illustrate that not only is Jesus relevant for our generation and for our personal lives, but all of the Bible is relevant for our lives. And on this point, our first observation is that this very relevant Jesus, that Jesus fulfills Scripture. Jesus fulfills Scripture. You see, it would be an easy assumption for someone to make when reading documents that are two to 3,000 years old that to initially think that they're simply preserved for antiquity. And yet, as we begin reading the teachings of Jesus, we see there's great power and application for our 21st century lives. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished." Throughout Jesus' ministry, he demonstrates a a tremendous respect and high regard for Scripture. 
He says, I didn't come to abolish or do away with the first 39 books of the Bible that were written prior to his arrival on the scene. Instead, he says, I came to fulfill them. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the Bible describes Jesus as the living word. Jesus is the living word. He came to earth to embody the teachings of the written word. You see, 39 books of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, existed before Jesus came to the earth. And as Jesus came on the scene and he taught some things that people considered radical and new, they started watching him, especially the fact checkers of his day, and they started watching to say, okay, is Jesus going to say that these things no longer apply? Is he going to come along and try to abolish the law of Moses? But instead, what we find is that Jesus comes along and fulfills those teachings. He fulfills those prophecies. And the remaining 27 books of the Bible, the portion we call the New Testament, records the life, the teaching, and the application of Jesus' teaching. Now, as a personal Jesus follower, I, I read the Bible through the lens of how do we see this being lived out in the life of Jesus? So I acknowledge that as a Christian, I read even the Old Testament through the lens of faith in Jesus as being the promised Messiah that the prophets talked about. In the Old Testament, we read of God's plan for the people of Israel to be the light and salt of the earth to be a city on the hill, to be a beacon of hope for all people. But unfortunately, they didn't live out the calling that God had called into their life. And yet Jesus comes on the scene and he fulfills those scriptures. He lives it out perfectly. And then he in turn calls those of us who embrace his call to follow him to in turn be salt, to be a preserving agent in our world to be an influence in our world, to be a light, a city on the hill, and a beacon of hope to others. Later in the Bible, we're reminded to view these ancient documents, not just as the writing of men, but as Scripture, as the Word of God. This is how Romans describes the Bible. It says, such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. You see, just as Jesus fulfilled the foretold promises of the prophets who preceded him, through reading the Bible, we are encouraged by the promises of God and how they were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And in turn, that develops faith in our heart And it gives us genuine hope that all the promises of God will be true and fulfilled in our lives as well. If we will just trust and believe. Personally, I've, I've found that the daily practice of reading the Bible gives birth to growing faith in my life. You see, in my own faith journey, it began many years ago with personally reading the Bible to hopefully find some answers for some of the personal questions and struggles I had in my life. And as I began to read it 
with an honest heart trying to say, is this really the Word of God? I, I discovered it wasn't old. It wasn't an antique document with no relevance for life. But instead, as I read it, I, I, I found myself amazed how that somebody who could be inspired to write something down two or 3,000 years ago that would speak to my heart in such a practical and powerful way that it was like they'd been following me around the previous week and speaking right in to what was going on in my life. You see, that developed faith in my heart. I became convinced that the Bible is truly the living Word of God, that it's active, it's powerful, it penetrates down to the very heart of who we are. And I came to embrace that the Bible isn't simply the written writings of men, but it's, it's the writing, the inspired writing of God. That's why I regularly encourage everyone here at Southwest to be reading the Bible for themselves. I don't want you just to take my word for things. I want you to read for yourself, and I want you to discover God's word to to hear Scripture in your heart and life and, and realize that this isn't just good principles for life. It's the Word of God. I really believe that the proof is in the pudding. And if you'll read it, you'll find, as I find, that it gives birth, as this last Scripture just said, to hope and encouragement in our life. I hope you are reading because in my life, what I find is that you just can't store up faith for the rest of your life. I mean, you can't read for for a week and say, okay, I've read enough for this year. I find that I have to keep revisiting on a regular basis, and that's why I'm a big advocate of daily Bible reading because I see a direct correlation between the amount of time I'm in Scripture and the encouragement and hope that I have in my heart. If lately you've been feeling a sense of hopelessness in your life, maybe a good place to start by examining that to say, how much time have I spent listening or reading God's Word lately? I think you'll find a direct correlation, as I have, is that God's Word brings encouragement and hope into our heart. As a church, we're committed to sharing the good news with those who have not yet embraced the hope that Jesus brings into their life. And yet it begins with us making sure that we have that hope and encouragement that God wants to work in our lives and that he longs to fulfill his promises in our lives as well. If you've not yet come to know that hope, then I want to encourage you as you leave today, pick up one of our free copies of the New Testament And start reading for yourself and see if you won't find like I have that the proof is in the pudding that really it will speak to you. The Bible will bring hope and give birth to faith. Our second observation from the particular servant of Jesus is that he, Jesus, reveals the Father. And he reveals the Father's heart toward us. As we keep reading in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus not only fulfills Scripture, but he also applies it and internalizes Scripture to our heart. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that it wasn't only an offense to God to murder another person, but it was a sin to have hatred in your heart toward another person. 
Jesus says it wasn't only a sin to commit adultery by cheating on your spouse, but Jesus says you're breaking faith with God and with your spouse if you have lust in your heart. Jesus took the teaching of the Old Testament. He didn't abolish it. He applied it and he internalized it for our hearts to be the very core of our living and of our being. Now, with this as a backdrop, he continues in Matthew 5, verse 43, with these words. He says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. One of the distinguishing characteristics of Jesus' teaching is that he, he really points to God as the Father. Jesus talked often about how God is his father and how he longs to be our heavenly father. Jesus not only reveals God as father, but he reveals the father's heart. And he calls us to embrace that love and that heart in our own life, but also toward others with the lofty goal of us becoming like the God that we worship. And the God that Jesus reveals. It's fascinating to reflect on the endearing manner in which Jesus reveals God as our heavenly father. This was, this was not the predominant view of God in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't there. It was present. Because I don't believe that God changed after Jesus came to the earth. But I think just our understanding of God deepened as Jesus came to reveal him. You know, in my study, I found out that the word father was, is found in the Old Testament, but it's only found in, in specific description of God 15 times. So the first 39 books of the Bible, God is described as father 15 times. Now, what's in contrast, the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Not 15 times, but 165 times, Jesus specifically describes God as our Father. Now, I think that's significant. And it's important that we really embrace this concept and this idea that God is our Father. In fact, Jesus even taught us later in the Sermon on the Mount what the, the model prayer, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, to even begin our prayers with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yes, it's truly good news to recognize that we are invited into a relationship with not some stoic God that is unmoved by our life circumstances, but we are called to relationship to a God who is a heavenly father who loves us dearly. And the challenge for us in Matthew 5 verse 48 is for us to truly be children of the father in heaven and to reflect him to others. You see, that impacts the way we treat others. 
It impacts the way we treat our family and friends, but it also treats, it impacts the way we treat others that maybe we wouldn't describe as family and friends. You see, the Jews of Jesus' day, the descendants of Israel, had come up with this sophisticated system worked out in their mind. You see, they took the Old Testament teaching to love your neighbor, and then they defined who their neighbor was. You see, for the Jewish mind in Jesus' day, their neighbor was people that looked like them, spoke like them, and thought like them, other Jewish people. And so they had they had justified in their mind that they didn't have to love or treat in a kind way those that weren't Jews, those who lived far away, those who didn't look, speak, or think like them. And it's in that context that Jesus says in verse 46 and 47, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others. And then Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, as we consider this aspect of the Father's heart and love, it's important for us to make an application to our own church family here at Southwest. Now, first of all, it's important for me to say and and state very clearly, I love this church. And I'm really grateful for how God has blessed us and and, and how he's helped us grow and how he's helped us deepen our love for him and for each other. And I'm grateful for all that we're experiencing as a church here at Southwest. For example, yesterday was just a really encouraging day. We have a dear family here at Southwest, the Caproitz family. And, and many of you know, they've gone through a lot of hardship. Uh, uh, their 13-year-old daughter, Claire, had a aneurysm a few years ago. And and it's left her in a wheelchair, and there's been a lot of medical expenses, a lot of difficulty in the family and challenges because of that. We're encouraged that Claire continues to progress and, and do well. But, but you know, they, they, they put a call out for some help. They, they, had, they needed to do some sprucing up of their property, and, and they'd fallen behind and just really limited on time. And so they, they were very creative. They had a mulch party. And they invited others to come. And some of our small groups found out about it. And about three different small groups came together and and supported them. And some Boy Scouts and other people in the community. And there were 30 plus people there yesterday morning to help spread mulch. And, And Nick had had 11 yards of mulch delivered. And it was amazing to see in 45 minutes all that mulch was spread throughout the property. It was truly amazing. And in fact, I kind of sensed that there was some disappointment in the hearts and faces of the people that came ready to work for a couple hours. So I didn't want to leave them disappointed, so I invited them over to my house, okay? (laughs) Because I wanted them to get their field service. And yet, you know, that that was a powerful demonstration of the church being the church and loving and supporting someone that had a need. I was grateful for that. Yet Jesus says, if you only love and greet those who are part of your number, how does that reflect the Father's heart toward others? Now, on this point, I want to make a very practical application. As a church family, we've recently seen a weakness surface in our fellowship. And it's in the manner in which we are receiving guests. 
You know, as a 20-year-old church, we've gone through various stages and through pains of growth. We've, we've grown to be a larger church, than we, much larger than we were when we started with 13 people. We've grown to have multiple services on the weekend. And yet, I think at this stage in our growth, we've identified a weakness. I'm not saying it's the only weakness, but it's one weakness. You see, when we started the church with 13 people, that a number of them were extroverts, the feedback we got early on was that we were a very friendly church. And that's kind of how I've perceived us as a church through the years because that's how we started and that's what we heard a lot. And from time to time, we still get that feedback from, from first-time guests. But over the last few weeks with the Easter season and with a number of guests that have come and worshiped with us, unfortunately, I've had a number of people give us feedback about four families, to be precise, four or five families, that they find us as a church as not being very friendly, that no one reached out to them or introduced themselves to them. Now, as I started having some of those conversations, I I have to share with you, it just really has saddened me. And I'm sad to think that as a church, we don't reflect this part of the Father's heart. You see, we sing on Sundays about how that we worship a God who chases after us. We worship a God who loves us and will run after us and knock down walls and and do whatever he can to to reach out and to to meet us where we're at. And, And yet, if we're a church that's not being warm and welcoming and loving to our guests... Are we reflecting the God that we worship? On Friday, I had a phone conversation with someone who'd been here four times. And they said, no one reached out to me. What can you say? I just said, I'm so sorry. I said, we will address this. I personally am going to work and be more intentional about reaching out to those who are new, but I'm also going to challenge others to do the same because, you see, we've grown to the point that, you know, I just can't rest on my friendliness, and I try to be friendly, but, but, you know, the truth of it is there's just too many new guests for me to reach out to on a weekend. I try, but I need help. I need others that say, this is my church family, and I want to, as a church, model the love and, and, and grace of God to others. So I want to ask you, in fact, I want to commission you, if this is your church home, I want to commission you this weekend to be every weekend a greeter to others. You see, it's easy for us to fall into the routine of just talking to those we already know. It's easy for us to fall in the routine of saying, okay, what did I get out of the worship service this weekend? Isn't it interesting we call it service? But so many of us can fall into the trap of coming to receive instead of coming to serve. Maybe it would be a better question of saying, who did I give to this weekend during our worship service? Who did I introduce myself to? Who did I let know that I'm glad they're here? So here's the challenge that I want to give everyone this weekend, and I'll probably be bringing this up repeatedly because I want to see this become a strength here at Southwest. I want to ask you every weekend, if this is your church home, to to have as a goal 
that to meet at least one new person. Now, maybe they're not new to Southwest, but they're new to you. And introduce yourself and, and, and try to get to know what brought them to Southwest or maybe how you can help them in some way. You know, one little hint for that is that our, our first impressions team passes out these bags to first-time guests. If you see somebody carrying one of those bags around, hey, reach out to them and say, hi, I'm glad you're here. Maybe even in our small groups, we could talk about how we can be more intentional about sharing and reaching out to others. Let's make sure we represent and reflect the Father's love. Let's be children of our Heavenly Father who loves those not that are just in, but also those that are out. Let's be a warm, welcoming church to reflect the Father's love. Finally, we see the relevancy in the life and teaching of Jesus as he brings stability. Toward the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, which probably only took 12 minutes to deliver, which is just another example of how far I am from Jesus. Some of you laughed too hard there, okay? But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it, it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Once again, we see the relevancy of Jesus' teaching. As he tells this powerful, timeless story of two builders, one who builds in the Midwest on good limestone bedrock and the one who builds in Hawaii or California on a sandy coast. Now, I know you can build on solid rock, and even in California or Hawaii. But interestingly enough, the past few weeks, if you've watched the news, we've seen images of horrendous mudslides where we've seen mud just destroying homes. What's happened? Well, rain and downpours have led to flooding, which has led to mudslides, which has left beautiful homes in pieces of rubble. Now, here's the application for us. Jesus' teachings are not antique. They're still to be applied today. And as we learn to take to heart what Jesus had to say about our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our priorities in life, our attitude towards, you fill in the blank, whether it be money, possessions, marriage, sex, our past hurts. And he addresses all those things in this one sermon. Jesus' teachings are not antique. They are relevant, and they are to be applied in every generation and by every heart. The question still remains, are you personally building your life on the teachings of Jesus? Or are you simply just hurriedly putting life together and going through life and really building your life on an improper foundation? Now, maybe it'll look good for a season, but unfortunately, 
the rains and the floods will come. And then if you've not built it upon Jesus, if you've not put into practice what he teaches, your life will end in rubble as the houses we just saw. Now, it's interesting. Jesus didn't just say, those who come to church and hear my words. Jesus didn't just say, those who have a daily practice of reading the Bible and listen to my words. Jesus says, those who put into practice my words. Are you putting into practice the teaching of Jesus? If so, then you're building on solid foundation. At the very end of the sermon, the Bible makes this observation. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. So how about it? Are you willing to give Jesus' authoritative teaching a chance in your life? Are you willing to live in such a way that reflect Jesus' teachings are truly the standard, the authority for your life. You might have been appalled by the GQ quota that I started with this morning. And yet, I want to ask you, are you treating the Bible as simply an antique relic on a shelf? Or are you reading from it and applying it to your life? Jesus taught with authority. He is the authority. And yet he didn't simply use his authority to enhance or improve his life. He didn't abuse his authority. In fact, he in turn served and sacrificed from his role of authority. In John 10, we read these words. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for that is what the Father has commanded. You know, every weekend here at Southwest, we have communion to remember the one who willingly gave his life for us. This is a time for us to take to heart what he said. Remember him, remember his love, remember his sacrifice. But it's also a time to take to heart what scripture says during communion, we're to examine ourselves. It's a time for us to ask ourselves, am I really putting into practice Jesus' teachings? Am I really having Jesus' teachings be the standard for my life? Am I really building on him as my proper foundation? This is a good time of examination, a good time of reflection, a good time to remember Jesus isn't just some historical figure that's antique today but he's real, he's alive, he's present. Let's pray to you. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus came back from the dead. We thank you that Jesus is here. We thank you that during times of communion, we can truly commune with him and with others who follow him. Help us during this time of communion remember what Jesus has done for us, but also help us examine our hearts Help us do an inspection on how we're building our life. And help us, Father, to recenter our life on his teaching and his example. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings. 
Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.